When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. This is episode three of our great study through the book of Exodus, God's great rescue. And God really truly does rescue his people. This is the greatest story that that we know that, that God came and, and rescued his people uh, for the Old Testament. The New Testament is the story of Jesus. The we left this this story at Exodus chapter one. We finished chapter one yesterday where Pharaoh gave this order. He tried to get the midwives to do this. The midwives wouldn't do it. They bucked Pharaoh and they refused to kill the boys that were being born. So this Pharaoh must have been a horrible Pharaoh decides, well, if this is if if I can't get the midwives to do it and they were tricking him, I don't know if he knew that they were tricking him or not. But now he makes this decree. He really is nervous about the Israelites. And so he makes this decree. Any boy, any every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile. And this includes, the, 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 so this is bypassing the Hebrew midwives. And now he's going directly to the, uh, the people of his kingdom and saying, if you see a Hebrew boy, it must be thrown into the Nile. And that's, that's, <laughs> His decree, and there's no way to go against this decree. If there's a he- if there's a boy, a Hebrew boy, then then one year old, two year old, three year old, um, the whole the whole kingdom of the pharaohs understands that this boy has to be killed and has to be thrown into the Nile, and so they don't. Uh, he bypassed the Hebrew midwives and now he goes directly to the people and so now all the people are sitting around looking for Hebrew boys and as soon as they see one they're going to kill them which is just horrible and I talked yesterday about how the the Israel the Egyptian society must have allowed for infanticide I did some research there's actually no known uh hieroglyph hieroglyphic writings that talk about this. There's some that are associated with it, but not, in other words, there's no known fact that the, that this happened, that infanticide happened in the Egyptian culture back 6,000 years ago, or however long this was, 5,000, 4,000 years ago. Um, but that doesn't mean, I mean, the Bible does say that this Pharaoh did command this and I just because there's no hieroglyphs that talk about this, the Bible does talk about it. And so, as with most things in the Bible, at some point they will do an excavation at some place and they will find out that this actually was a thing that one of the pharaohs talked about. And maybe they'll find out that, that the whole Egyptian culture allowed for infanticide. I don't know. It, it's a hard sell to people to kill Hebrew boys unless killing children is part of the culture at some level. So I, I don't know the answer to that, but it, it is, it's a hard sell to people. That, that one is tough. I, any child, any beautiful little child, most people want to protect unless there's something culturally that says that it's part of the culture to not protect that child. That's just what I believe. All right, so we're going to continue reading on. We're going to begin in chapter two now. And see what happens. So now a man, a man, now a man of the tribe of Levi, married a Levite woman. 
and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds among the banks of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So we'll just stop right there. So Moses' mother decides that he is, she's going to follow the rule of the law. Remember what the rule of the law was. They must be thrown into the Nile. And she's like, all right, I'll throw my child into the Nile, but I'm going to throw him into the Nile in a papyrus basket, and hopefully he won't drown, and maybe somebody will see him and take care of him. And so she goes to the reeds. She makes a papyrus basket and weaves it and puts the child in the papyrus basket, coats it with tar and pitch so that it's waterproof, puts the child in it, and then places this papyrus basket in the reeds of the Nile. So the Nile Delta has uh, those reeds. I'm sure you've seen them, and uh, they grow in a lot of shallow waters. You see the reeds. And, And so in the shallow waters of the Nile Delta, she went in and placed Moses. Now notice that she is a Levite woman, and she married a man of the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi was the priestly class of the Israelites. They were the ones who were declared by God to do the priestly duties, to represent the people before God. And so this, in the tribe of Levi, you have this class of people that that do nothing but their, their class, their tribe is the one that represents the people before God. And that they're, they are, uh, they're supposed to be, um, you know, protected. They're, They're not necessarily served, but they are Uh, A lot of time, the Bible says that they should be given first fruits and things like that so that they can survive without working. They represent Israel in in the priestly class. And so they do that. And this man marries the Levite woman. They have Moses. So Moses is part of the priestly class, which is interesting. Um, Coats him with, with tar and pitch and puts him in the Nile to see what would happen. So she really follows the rule of the law, but she couldn't bear to kill her child, which no mother can. I mean, this is, this is, this would be a very hard, hard thing. Even, even putting him in this papyrus basket and putting him in the reeds is a hard, hard thing. Now, um, uh, let's see. Then it says that his sister, this is Moses' sister, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Uh, we find out later that Moses' sister is Miriam and is with Moses throughout the whole entire Exodus. Just a wonderful lady, older than Moses, right? Because she's she is a, a, don't know if she had any sisters, but she is old enough to kind of walk and 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 go and see what's happening in the Nile to this basket and. She realizes that Moses is there. She follows. I don't know what she's going to do. If um, maybe she's going to feed no Moses, or maybe, maybe her heart goes out to Moses. But she is like a big sister to Moses. And if you've ever had a big sister, our family has a big sister, the oldest one, and she, in her own way, is like a mother hen <laughs> for trying to protect her flock. She's the one that. Um, that is the firstborn and acts like a firstborn, if you know what firstborns act like. She's definitely like that. So 
I don't know if Miriam was a firstborn or an onlyborn, or even if she was a firstborn, but she goes down and watches Moses as he's in the Nile River. And then what happens? Well, verse 5, Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbanks. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to go get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And so, and this is common. People would go down to the Nile River to bathe. In India, it's the Ganges River to bathe. It's fresh water. It's a place where you can go and bathe. If you get a lot of people bathing in these rivers, it can overpollute these rivers, and it can cause lots of problems. Actually, there's a snail that lives in the Nile River, that causes a disease called schistosomiasis. It's a very nasty snail. So if you get bit or if something, if this snail gets on you or something like that, you can get a very, very deadly disease. So it's not always wonderful. So what happens, I think, is sometimes they'll have these steps that they'll build to go into the Nile River to protect you from the bottom of the river where all the nasty stuff is. And I'm sure that Pharaoh would have had a beautiful palace right on the Nile River where you had these steps that would go down and perhaps stonework underneath the river where you could go and you could bathe and they bring attendants and everybody bathes in the Nile River. Or at least Pharaoh's people bathe in the Nile River. So she goes down there and she sees something in the reeds. So she sends a female slave, hey, I see something over in the reeds. Why don't you go and see what it is? So she goes and it's a baby, opened it and saw that it was a baby and the baby was crying and she felt sorry for him. So she probably immediately knows what's happened, that a Hebrew baby was not was technically thrown into the Nile, but put in the Nile in a papyrus basket, and it floated down to the reeds, and she sees this baby, and she feels sorry for him. Well, then what happens? Well, then his sister, this is Miriam, asks Pharaoh's daughter. So somehow Miriam was there, asks Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Wow. So the sister Miriam says, Hey, there's a baby. Can I, I can probably find you a a Hebrew woman who is still nursing, right? You you only nurse for a period of time after a child is born and then it stops and then you have other children and they're born again. So you have to find a, the, they call this um, a wet nurse. And it was actually quite popular in the United States. I know in the 1900s, early 1900s, because um, my understanding is, is that uh, this was just very, very popular uh in the culture that my grandmother lived in, uh, in in Ohio, they would they would have what they would call wet nurses that would come in and feed the baby, uh, and maybe watch after the baby and also all sorts of things like that. And so this this is not uncommon in, throughout history. And so basically, she says, um, "Let me go find a wet nurse for you." And so she says, "All right, go find a wet nurse." Well, she goes and gets Moses' mother and says, "Hey." Uh, they're looking for so Moses' mother. I the great news is is that she got to have a relationship with Moses, right? You you bond with the child that you're nursing, 
there's no question about it. So, but uh, Pharaoh is paying her to to nurse this child. So, at some level, Pharaoh's court is paying Moses' mother to nurse the child, to raise this child to the point where the child no longer needs to be nursed, which is what about a year, maybe a year and a half. Uh, I know it can go as much as three years old. I have no idea. But even as a one-year-old child, there's a tremendous bond between a child and their mother. Uh, even because I have a, I have a, my, uh, my grandchild is, uh, will be one at, in the middle of June, June something. And oh, I shouldn't say that June, I should probably look it up and tell you. <laughs> and even at one year old, there's an incredible bond between mom and child at this point incredible unbreakable bond between mom and child so i don't know how long pharaoh's or this moses mother nursed this child but at some point then moses mother has to go back to pharaoh's court and turn over this son to pharaoh's daughter and that had to have been a difficult thing although maybe because of that the the mother of moses stayed nearby so that Pharaoh's daughter could have alleviated some of the pain and struggle, but maybe not. She's a compassionate woman. We see that, uh, Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's daughter. But I don't know. We, we do, we're not given a lot of detail there. What we are given is that at some point, Moses' mother had to take this child and give it back to Pharaoh. And then at that point, Pharaoh's daughter takes this son and then she names the son Moses because I drew him out of the water. So she had the blessing of naming, Pharaoh's daughter had the blessing of naming Moses. It's a, it's a great joy that parents get is to name their children. Think about that. You get to name your children. And some people name them in the hospital, some wait. Of course, the hospitals always want you to name the child so it can be put on the birth certificate. And some parents aren't ready to name yet. We, uh, did we? We did. We, um, we, when, when our oldest was in the womb, we didn't have a name picked out yet. We were talking about names, but we, we called our oldest sine nomine, which is a Latin for without a name. And it's also the, uh, the title of a very, very famous hymn. Um, so, <laughs> so, and you have to understand, my wife and I absolutely love hymns. We love high church. If you'd have been at our wedding, you'd have seen the highest church wedding you could have possibly. We had choirs and handbells and brass and organ, and it was one of the most beautiful, well, I think it because it's my own wedding, but it's just a very, very beautiful high church wedding that was just lovely. And um, so that we called our oldest sine nomine, which is which is the name of a hymn. Anyway, but but then eventually we came up with a name for our child. And that's a great blessing to name. And and to be able to to be able to give up your child to somebody else and then have somebody else name your child. That had to have been hard. But the alternative would have been death. And so Moses' mother took the lesser of two evils, gave Moses to Pharaoh's daughter, and then now Moses grows up in Pharaoh's court. We don't, we don't really know a whole lot about this time in Moses' life. We, after Moses has grown is where we pick up the story. Uh, 
It's almost like Jesus, right? We don't know a whole lot about Jesus' birth. We know about his birth and the circumstances around his birth, but there's a whole long period of time in Jesus' life where we have absolutely no idea what's happening. We know that he's living with with Joseph. His father is a carpenter. He's probably learning the carpenter trade. He's being a part of that family. But there's this big chunk of time for Jesus that we don't know about. Well, there's the same thing true in this pre-type of Jesus, this type of Jesus called Moses, where we know about his birth and how he ends up in Pharaoh's court, but we don't know in the chunk of time how he grew up in Pharaoh's court. But we can certainly surmise what happened. If he is Pharaoh's daughter's son, then he is most likely treated as one of the court. And he's treated as royalty at some level. What does it mean to be in the royal court? Well, it's quite possible that that he learned how to read and write in the Egyptian language. That he would have learned the philosophies that came down from the scholars. In other words, he was no lightweight. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's court as a grandson of the Pharaoh. And as such... He was given all rights and privileges of living in the court, which meant that he would have learned all the things that Pharaoh's other grandchildren would have learned or, or children would have learned. May, we know we had, they had chariots at that point, so he probably learned how to drive a chariot. He probably learned how to ride horses. All the things that you get to know when you live in royalty, that would have been, he was part of the royal family, and so he would have learned all the royal things. And at some level, he probably learned about leadership. He probably learned about the philosophies of the day that Pharaoh would have taught. Remember, one of the greatest libraries that ever existed was in Alexandria. So the the Egyptian people collected writings at some point, and this probably happened in Egypt at that point. So all the greatest writings were probably available to Moses. Just phenomenal that he... Now, we don't really know where he was and where he grew up. Um, I doubt it was Cairo. Um, I think the the capital of Egypt at this point was Memphis. Um, so it, it could have been that he was near Memphis or somewhere in that area. We don't really know. But it depends on which pharaoh and where he was and all that sort of thing. But um, we do know that he probably spent a lot of time learning all the things of the court. So by the time he was an older man, 12, 13, 14 years old, reaching puberty, he was a very, very well-learned man. And he probably knew that he, was Egypt, that he wasn't Egyptian. He probably knew that he was a Hebrew. Um, his mother probably told him where he came from. You are a Hebrew. I pulled you out of the water and then I had this woman come and nurse you but so you are you are 100% Hebrew but you are part of our um court and that's like Jesus too right Jesus is God but he took on flesh and became human so he's both God and he's both man and Moses is both part of the royal Egyptian royal family but he's also part of God's chosen family. So the parallels between Jesus and Moses are absolutely amazing. Both of them, we don't know a lot about their life, but we know about their birth. Both of them are part of royalty. Both of them are commoners. I mean, there's just 
an incredible amount of overlap uh, in their lives, and which is why people say that Moses is like a type of Jesus. He's the precursor of Jesus. We learn a lot about Jesus from Moses. And so as we look through the book of Exodus, we'll see what other similarities happen, similarities happen between Moses and Jesus. So I think we'll end it there because the next story is where things go really, really far south for Moses and it does not go well. And we'll, we'll pick up that story when we, when we finish tomorrow, when we uh, pick up the story tomorrow. In verse, I guess we'll pick it up in verse 11. All right, so let's close in prayer. Dear God, uh, thank you for this great story. Thank you for Moses' mother who, who rescued him and put him in a basket and helped him be this bridge between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And we thank you for Jesus, who is our bridge between humanity and God. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.